Are you all ready to get into the Bible? Yes. If you're ready to read the Bible, say, yeah. yeah. Do me a favor, open your book, your paper book. I know, so many of us disqualified. <laughs> open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. We're going to continue our series today in the book of Philippians. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. For those of you who are new, a recap, we are currently walking through a 16-week series in this letter. We call the series Joy and Pain. Paul writes this letter to a church that he plants, that he loves, from prison. He writes through chains, through struggle, through persecution, and yet this letter is one of the most joyous letters in all of the Bible. The word joy is used in this letter more than any other epistle, and the teaching, the takeaway, is that even in pain, there is joy in Jesus' name. And we continue our series in just these four verses, 17 through 21 today. I'm going to read them in your hearing. We're going to pray, and we're going to trust the Lord's going to do something mighty. Amen? Amen. It says this, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The title of our message today, simple, easy, cliche, you've heard it before, I'll say it again, you are your friends. Have you ever heard that before? You are your friends. Your friends define you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you for this word. God, may this moment with us today not be defined by our agenda, but by yours. Would you remove me from the equation completely that you might use me as a ready writer, that I might write the words of God upon the hearts of men? And would you soften our hearts to receive those words, that we might be transformed by your grace and by your power here today in Jesus' name. Amen. As we do with each one of the, the lessons from this study, we have a big idea, a, a hook, a sentence that I'd, I'd love for you to ponder, to take away, to hold, and to consider this week. The big idea this week is that you would never underestimate the power of influence in your life. Never underestimate just how powerful the influence of others is in you, on you, right now. Today what we're going to talk about is, is how influence works, how we as humans are, are prone to be influenced, how we can influence others, where to be influenced, and, and whom to avoid when it comes to influence. My hope is that by the end of this conversation today, you'll be able to identify some areas of your life where you're being influenced that need to cease now. Amen? That's my goal, is really that you consider that by the end of this message, you would say, you know what? I cannot watch that news channel anymore. Amen? Amen. Can I tell you right now, that will take years 
to do but add years to your life. I also want to challenge you not just to take some influence out of your life, but to consider how you might transition to being a person of influence. I want to push you today to flip it, that you might not be a sponge, but that you would be the living water and saturate the environments that you're in. Amen? Here's the deal. I used to pastor young adults, and Chanel and I were joking as church was getting uh, started today, and I was like, it turns out I still pastor a lot of young adults. All right. I used to joke with the young adults ministry that I led seven, eight years ago. um, Whenever I would meet with a young person, specifically men, and they would start to kind of recount some of their struggles, and I would say, give me your phone. And they would pause just as you recoiled now. And the reason is this, I can kind of tell everything I need to know about you by your phone, by your most used apps, by the first 14 conversations in your text threads. Actually, in this day and age, I can kind of learn everything I need to know by the eight emojis you you use the most. (laughs) Think about it. A couple of y'all got some emojis you need to delete right now, right now. See, that's a good laugh right there. And it, it was true. Seven to eight years ago, I could, I could discern who you were influenced by and, and how you walked amongst those that you called friends simply by looking at the correspondence and conversations that you had. And, and it's still true today, only it's a little bit differently true. You see, seven to eight years ago, we were just on the cusp of the influencer age, the age that we're in right now. And if you don't know what the influencer age is, it's this. Everyone right now, by the power of the democratization of media, by the power of the way in which we're all able to learn how to produce and market ourselves, has brought us to a day and age, today, this age, this moment, right now, where everybody in the world has a platform, even if they have nothing to say. And you you know that to be true, right? Because some of y'all follow some people who got nothing to say. And you are subscribed to it. Amen? (laughs) The age of the influencer has brought us to a moment where people of all walks can say anything and their influence, their volume, the way that their voice is amplified can put them on par with any traditional media site. And some would argue that's actually really good. It's opened the door for us to have a more more diverse range of views. We're able to hear from marginalized populations and populations that might not otherwise have a voice, but then some would argue that it takes it too far, that sometimes those with real meaningful things to say that would be valuable to me and to you and to the advancement of all that this country might hold dear are on par with, they're just their critics. I mean, if you think about it today, how many of you have ever been in an argument on social media? Pause, time out, hold up. Let me break something to you. Social media is not real life. All right, right back into it. If, how many of you have found yourself in an argument with someone only to discover that, like, you don't even know that person and will never know that person, and they just got six good hours of your life? and your heart rate was up, and your blood pressure was up, and even when you walked away from the keyboard and you were getting water at the water cooler, you were thinking about your next reply. How many of you have done this before? Because you couldn't wait to win that conversation. And how many of you have ever won one of those 
conversations. Have you ever put somebody in their place on the internet and they go, you know what? You're right. It's never happened. Right now, someone has your ear. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't. Right now, someone somewhere, they could be a friend, someone IRL in real life, or they could be someone that you just follow, or that you listen to, or that you watch. But for some reason right now, their words are taking root in you. And their influence is leading you. And I, I need you and I to take this moment today to begin to ask ourselves, are those voices leading me to life? Now, for those of you who are in this room who are not CCU students, amen, who are more mature in your faith and in your walk. The same is true of the traditional media that we consume, whether it's the news channels that we watch or, or the news outlets that we read or even the books that we participate in. It could even be the clubs and the gatherings that we have. Right now, someone has your ear. Amen? And Paul today, he writes us in this last part of chapter 3 to the church in Philippi, but also to us right now in this moment to say it is very important that you consider if you really want to be on the right track, if you really want to keep swimming, chasing after Jesus and seeing him in his glory, it's very important that you do it with the right people and the right voices so you're not led astray. And the three things we're going to talk about today, verses 17 through 21, just three concepts today. Number one is this. It's important that you follow the leader. And we're going to talk about who the right leaders are in your life and how to follow them, who to look for and how to follow. Number two, it's important that you avoid the losers. I know, that sounds mean, doesn't it? <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get to it. I want to frame how you see people so that you start to see people like God sees people. And number three, I hope that we leave this conversation with you saying, you knowing, me being able to say, please remember who you really are. It's good to follow the leaders. It's good to avoid the losers. But you really only can do that when you know who you are. Amen? So let's read this. Verse 17, I'm going to pick it up there and we'll jump right in. Paul writes and he says, brothers, which means in this moment, brothers and sisters to us today. But keep in mind that Paul does write to men. The original way that ministry was set up was that Paul would teach men and it was the duty of men to lead their wives and their families. Amen? We don't do it like that now. You know why? Because men don't disciple their families. Welcome to church. Amen? I'm always going to give it to you straight, even if you don't like it. But here's the deal. If you get this, everything changes. Fellas, you are the pastor of your home. And you, when we're talking about influence, are the single greatest voice in the ears of your families. So it's true that in the modern North American church, I would read this and say brothers and mean brothers and sisters now. But Paul meant brothers. Gentlemen, fellas, let's talk real. He says, join me in imitating me. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. He's saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. Stick close to those who look like this. 
And what he's saying is, you know how there's a group of leaders around you right now who seem to be enamored by the word, who seem to be reckless in the way that they worship, who seem to be selfless in the way that they serve, who seem to be without reproach in the way that they lead and care for others. You know those people? Yeah, those are the leaders. You need to be imitating them. And I love that Paul essentially doesn't mind being bold. I mean, most leaders today wouldn't use this sort of uh, declarative statement about themselves. I mean, it would be maybe inappropriate. It would feel weird if I were to say to you, church, good to see you. Just do whatever I do. (laughs) You'd be like, "Mm, that sweater is too baggy. No, (laughs) not everything he does. I had a hat that I was going to wear today. It was even weirder. So don't worry. I'm learning as I go. No, Paul doesn't mind being honest and saying, do what I do because he's, he's tried and he's tested. And he says, like, I'm writing you from prison. Do it like this. It's going to cost you. It's going to hurt. It's going to work. Don't fake the funk. What he's really doing in this moment for you and for me is he's saying, be teachable. Be willing to be led. Be a good follower. This week, I got to go spend three days in Birmingham, Alabama with um, a a round table uh, of pastors. If you've ever heard the phrase, if you're the smartest person in the room, get a new room, amen, Um, then you know what I'm talking about. This week, I was invited to go to Birmingham to sit around uh, a table with other pastors who's whose agenda was really no agenda, just learn, just discuss what we've been through over the last several years and, and just talk about some be- what worked for you and what worked for me and how can we replicate this. And, and, um, and you know, interestingly enough, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of a weird pastor. I come from a charismatic background, but I've fallen in love with real hard teaching. And I don't really have like a tribe. Do you, do you have a tribe? Do you have like a crew that's just like people around you, they're, they're just like you and they think like you? I don't, I don't have that. I have charismatic friends, and they're kind of hocus-pocus, amen? And then I have, like, Reformed Bible guys, and they're just mean as hornets, right? And I don't have, like, I'm not in, I'm in the middle. I don't have, like, a tribe. But I, I'll go to these, these, these things as often as I can because I want to learn. And I was at this gathering, and, and none of these guys are, were in my tribe. Um, each one of them is actually really these pastors that are really focused on growth. And if you've heard me talk about growth, <laughs> you know I didn't fit in at all, right? One of the guys that was leading the roundtable brought us into his office. And at the back of his office, he has this little clicker. You know in European train stations when it switches from the times and it goes click, 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 click. He had one of those. And this clicker was synced to all of the campuses. His church has 24 campuses. And it had been counting since the day they launched their church in 2000, every time someone made a decision for Jesus. And he brought us into his office and he said, I want to show you guys. We're going we're to sync the, the clicker today and we're going to count all of the salvations from Easter. And he said, before you know this, you should know we had 24 campuses, and this Sunday we saw 99,700 people come to church. And I was like, we had 213! Yeah. Yeah. Totally, right? Because I don't care how wide, I care how deep. But he said, you guys ready? We were like, yeah, yeah. 
And he leaned over to his, like, his tech guy. He's got one full-time guy that works on tech, you know? And he's like, go for it. And he hit this button, and it started to count. Tick, 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 but we're on the exact same mission. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And I've never even met 5,640 people. <laughs> but this matters. And I need to be here right now to learn. And so as a part of this roundtable, they go around and ask you, you know, some insight. What did you learn this year? And I was like, I didn't learn nothing. I'm just here to learn from y'all, right? Because I think it's important for many of us, no matter where you go, how big you get, how much influence you have, to always remain teachable, humble. I might say it like this, even if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're not. And the moment you think you are, you're in trouble. And so when Paul writes to the church, he says, I need you to very clearly remember that while we're followers of the way and the Holy Spirit lives in us and that makes us different, don't think you're better. Don't think you're done. Don't think you're more than just a follower of Jesus. Amen? He says, be teachable, stay teachable. And so what he does is he tries to define for us who it is that we need to follow. He says, I want you to imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the word. What he's trying to do in this moment is trying to clearly invite us to develop some good habits and to do it with the right people. Here's what I might say to you today in this moment is, um, how many of you were raised in church? Show of hands. You were raised in church. You went to church every Sunday. Okay. How many of you, no shame, this is the legit good thing. How many of you were not raised in church and this is your new life? Amen. Okay. Do me a favor. Because for some of us, Sunday mornings is church. Amen. And for others, this is a part of a new level of discipline, a new level of learning to chase after the Lord and do things different than their mother and father did. And what I would say to you, most of you know this, but some of you are learning, is that church attendance is a part of imitating those who chase after God. In fact, it says right here in this Bible that, that attending the fellowship, that gathering together is not only right and righteous, it's also very healthy for you. Right? This isn't just so that we can see you, it's so that we can see each other and grow together. And so Paul says, I need you to go after people who are just like us, surrounding yourself with people who have the same end, even if they're not perfectly the same tribe, if they have the same Jesus, they're of the same mind and we're on the same mission. And he says, but a clear differentiator here is that you find people who have the same end in mind, but ready, but also the same means. How many of you have ever met somebody before in your life and they've said something to you like, you know, I'm not a very religious person, but I'm spiritual. Have you heard that before? And it's at first it's like, oh, you're very spiritual. That's cool. But everything is spiritual. I mean, the Bible tells us that if you won't worship him, even the rocks will cry out. So frankly, even the rocks are spiritual. Amen. 
What most people are trying to say is, I don't want to adhere to one model. I just kind of want to play the field and see what works for me in the moment. Amen? But Paul says you got to be mindful that you're not following the leaders who aren't following the leader. Right? Because if you're just following someone who's following themselves, well, then really, y'all, you're just wandering together. He says, make sure that you're following after people who have walked according to the example that you have in us. And the example that Paul is setting is someone who believes in this world, in this word. Paul is known for preaching what is described in the book of Acts as the full counsel of God. Here it is for you. Ready? This is the litmus test on how you find the leaders that you're called to find. It's this. They believe every word of this. That's it. That's the qualification. This is it. It it doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, get you a really good tongue-talking healer. Amen? But those are fun services to go to. He says, don't just find someone who can write beautiful worship songs and weeps when they do. Those are powerful moments. He says, no, if you really want to follow the leaders, look for the Bible thumpers. Amen? Especially those who would let this word wash over their own life. See, you don't want just someone who will herald or declare what they've read, but will also repent and die to self and mention the times when they read this and they thought, gosh, this is so hard for me. He says, make sure that you're following after people who adhere to the word strictly. And I might say it like this. How could you ever follow someone who taught you from this if they didn't believe all of this? It would be like asking someone to walk you through Harry Potter who'd never read Harry Potter. (laughs) Honest. And I meet people all the time and they're like, Pastor, we love church and we're going to be in a small group, but we met this guy at Target and he's starting a Bible study and we're going there too. And I'm like, cool, who's that guy? And they're like, we don't know, but he had a long beard. What? That's not qualifications, man. (laughs) You need to test the spirits and the test is this. Is this inerrant for you? Is this sufficient for you? Is this God-breathed? Can it change your life? Amen? Follow the leaders. That is the first key. Number two, Paul transitions this conversation to push us a little bit in looking at the world around us. Verse 18 and 19, Paul writes, he says, For many of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, many have walked as enemies of the cross of Christ. But before we jump into this, I I think it's important that we we look at the way that Paul writes about those he calls enemies. I'm going to call them a name in just a moment, and it might come across as offensive, but I need you to see this for just a second. Paul says they are enemies of Christ, and it breaks my heart. There is a trapping for those of us who fall in love with this world, this word, to to fall out of love with the world and then feel as though we are enemies with it. And it is true, there's an enemy in the world, but they are not your enemy. Amen? 
And Paul, he says, I've told you time and time again about people who have lost their way, and every time it breaks my heart, it should break yours as well. He says, I've told you again, they're enemies of the cross, verse 19, and their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. What we would say here in this conversation today is if you're going to follow the leaders, you've got to be very careful to avoid the losers. And the reason I'm going to use the word losers is because I need you to very clearly understand that there is an end game in your faith. And in the end, there will be winners and there will be losers. And if you think everybody's on the same team, you will be on the wrong team. Amen? He says, you've got to be careful about this. He says also, the Apostle Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, he says, bad company corrupts good morals. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Here's what that really means. Don't think for a single second that you can run with the ruffians and not become a ruffian yourself. Amen? People always ask, why do you guys do church where you do it? And I'm like, well, because we need God in the heart of Denver. Amen? We are desperate for it, right? But I hope that when you walked into church today, you walked through this neighborhood in some moment saw why we need God. Maybe, maybe today you had to step over someone. Maybe this morning you heard somebody yelling at the top of their lungs as they walked down the street. Maybe today, as you drove into the city, you saw just what, what can come out of an environment where God has been booted out. I hope that you felt this when you've come here. We've been asked time and again, you know, wouldn't it be easier to just go to the suburbs? Right? I mean, wouldn't you be able to do it better? And the answer is, yeah, 100%. Do you know if we put ourselves in a middle school in Lakewood, we'd pay a tenth of the rent? Did you know that? Did you know that you'd be able to park in a parking lot and walk nine steps to the front door of this church? You know, we'd have 14 classrooms at our disposal so that Spark Kids wasn't just the Naughton kids, it was all the kids. It's so true. We could do it much easier and maybe even shinier, but we wouldn't be where God had placed us to be or asked us to be or needed us to be. And what it means is that many of you who feel compelled by the vision here have heard this word, have heard this kind of preaching, have been a part of this fellowship, have said, you know what? It's, I, 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 drive, I drive from that middle school in my neighborhood to this city because I believe in being in this city. The problem sometimes is that a lot of us act like that, like we're missional, like we're called um, and we use that justification when we're around people that we're not actually called to. You've got some people in your life that are just plain bad influence, amen? 
You got, you, you got somebody that's just language, just, just foul. They're, they're just always celebrating the wrong things and excited about the wrong things. And one of the things that you'll do to tell yourself that it's okay to hang around them is maybe they'll get Jesus from me being around them, except for that you never talk about Jesus. And so the only thing that really happens is that they talk about the world around you. And your Jesus just gets smaller over time. I'm telling you it's important to be on mission and we're going to end this conversation with, with a push for you to be on mission but I want you to be mindful that when you're out in the world you are not of the world. Okay? The enemy has his sights set on you. If you said yes to Jesus you're on the list. And he uses people to take you out. And so when Paul is writing about this, this kind of influence, what he's saying essentially is be careful who you let speak into your life, even if it's just a whisper, even if it's just a tune of the dial, even if it's just because this movie's only rated R, it's not that big of a deal, but I'll watch it. Oh, we got real fundamental, didn't we, just then? <laughs> let me tell you my own journey. I love mob movies. Love them. Love them. You do too? I love narco movies. I love boxing movies. I like anything with gritty, fighting, mean, bad language. I love it. I love it. And it influences me. I can tell if I'm watching too much of that by my language. Can we just be super honest today? Is this okay if I'm just honest with you? Because I know exactly who you are. You're just like me. Don't pretend like you don't have foul language from time to time. You're going to be like, oh, the pastor's going to talk about cussing. Yes, I am, because I think it's a curse for all of us. Here's the deal. You watch things, listen to things, read things, and there's something exciting in our spirit when sinful words are put out. It's like visceral and powerful and strengthful and sinful and forbidden and taboo and wonderful. Am I right? And only the holiest people like Chanel and Kalel don't like it. My 60-year-old son is like, Dad, turn this off. Yeah, okay. And, and that excitement that comes from that sort of like forbidden language, forbidden action, forbidden sight, it is really the enemy tickling your flesh to say, come back home. And you've got to figure out how much of that you can withstand. And it may vary from season to season. There are some times where I'm like, I'm, I got I to gotta cut down. I can't watch this anymore. I can't let this be in my life anymore. Can I tell you, that's a good decision to make. I met a man today, this past week, who carries a flip phone around. Ready? because he struggles with pornography and he can't shake it with a smartphone. There are a few things in your life that have got your attention and ready, they won't just fizzle away. You've got to make some hard decisions. I can't watch that, I can't read that, I can't hear that, I can't be with them. Here's why. Paul says you need to avoid these people because their end is destruction. 
He's making a very clear understanding of the teams thing that we talk about. And what he's saying is there are either people who echo the words of life from the throne of light, or there are people who speak death and you get to choose which direction you go. This is a hard conversation today, right? I'm talking about your friends and about the media that you consume and about the ideals that you go after. And I'm asking you, is it here? Because I love a good mob movie, but there are no hitmen in here. There's a few watchmen. Uh I love a good boxing movie, but there's no boxers. There's just a boy with five smooth stones and a conviction for what the Lord might say to him. You see, if it's not here, then it's not life. And I want to tell you right now that you can dabble as long as you want, but it's wasted time and you might get caught in the wrong direction. Amen. Now, here's how you need to figure out who's who, because I, I hope that by now you're asking, okay, how do, I, how do I make this litmus test? I mean, do I just rely on Jiminy Cricket, the small voice in the back of my mind, the conscience that says this is good and this is bad, and what if I've been watching this stuff my whole life and I feel good, and then someone comes in and they're like, that's bad. What do I do? So glad you asked. Verse 19, he says it like this. Their end is destruction, and here's how you can identify someone that's headed in the wrong direction. Their God is their belly. They're mostly enamored with pleasures of the flesh and fulfillment of now. Someone says, dude, I don't go to church tomorrow. Come out, we're going out. It's an after hours bar. You're like, I'm on the setup team. No one's on the setup team. Church isn't even real. Come on. (laughs) They're excited about the things of the flesh. Anyone who's a who's espousing the joy of the lust of the flesh is asking you to forsake the joy that is found in the gifts of the spirit and fall back into that same flesh. He says their God is their belly, ready? And they glory in their shame. Have you ever met somebody who's just excited about when they do the wrong thing? Yeah, you ever watch um, poker on TV? You know that's just people lying to each other full time, right? I mean, most people are not card counters. They're mostly good bluffers. And when they win, they revel in lying. You didn't know that, did you? I hope you don't gamble anymore. I hope you never gambled. But I hope that if you're a gambler, you'll start second guessing whether or not that's something that the Lord might want for you. I am coming after all the sins today. I'm telling you right now, even the little things matter. He says their glory is in their shame, meaning the things that should bring them shame, bring them excitement and thrill and wonder. They no longer let the world say things like that's bad. They say bad is good. That's right. They want you to be on the same journey. Paul says, watch out for the people who lust after the flesh. Watch out for people who find glory in their shame and whose mind is set almost entirely on earthly things. Um, in the early days of our church plant, when we were just in our vision meetings, 
we'd experienced some pretty interesting um, success in our vision meetings. Usually when church plants start, they, they throw a vision meeting and their mom comes. And, and it's, it can be discouraging. In our first vision meeting, 96 people came. And our overseers were there and they were like, what? This is insane, right? It was just so exciting. And so we, we started to gather people and adding people to our, our team. And, and, and our goal was to get 75 to 100 members to serve on the team to help us launch the church. And, and we reached 75. And I remember having conversations with every, again, trying to be teachable, every single pastor I could meet and say, does this sound right? Is this working? What do you think? And, and I would get great Advice, <laughs> usually. The best advice I ever got was just keep praying, just keep praying, just keep praying, just keep praying. The worst advice I got was from a pastor who said, don't let them get too close to you. You need to make sure that they know that you're different from them. And he started to lay out all this strategy for me on how to create a culture, ready, that meant that you served me. And he ran a church of 9,000 people. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do it if it's like that. Because if we're against each other, then you'll just kill me the moment I make a mistake. Amen? <laughs> Amen? I show up late, you're like, see that guy. And I remember in this moment listening to this conversation and hearing really sound strategy for church growth, but not real godly strategy for church growth. Do you know what I mean? And here's the thing is it sounded so good, it just wasn't God. And there are going to be numerous people in your life that when you ask for advice, they're going to have good advice. It's just not God advice. And it is your good and faithful duty to discern between the two. But how can you if you don't know God's words? You see, if, if I only took my faith on my experience alone, then when he told me the nine steps to increase from a hundred to a thousand in six months, it would have just sounded like good strategy and I would have done it, but I would have never understood that the Bible tells us to do things his way, not our way. And there are a few things in your life right now that you've got some, maybe you've got a financial advisor who's telling you exactly what you need to do with your money. And he keeps wondering why you tithe. You know, we should get that taken care of. You don't need to do that. Start putting it into a mutual fund. It sounds like good advice, but it's not God advice. Or someone in your life is like, dude, we got a flag football team. It's on Sunday mornings. And you're like, I've been meaning to work out. It's good advice. It's not God advice. And it's your job to figure out, are the people that are speaking into my life speaking life or speaking death? And the way that the Lord sees these is that there are winners and there are losers and you need to avoid the losers. And here's why. Verse 20. You need to avoid them because your citizenship is in heaven. And from this place of residency, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. 
It's important that I tell you to make sure that you're following the right leaders. It's vital that you begin to examine whether or not you're letting losers speak into your life. Amen? But it's all for nothing if you don't know why. And I would say, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You are a citizen of heaven. For those of you who have said yes to Jesus, you no longer have a passport here on earth. You belong to the, the citizenry of heaven. You get to walk in the streets of gold one day. That is your home. And right now, they are building your reward for you. And I hope that you see it that way. Because if you can see it that way, you can understand why you're still here. Wouldn't it be good if the moment you got saved, you just went? (laughs) Yes, Jesus. Poof. Hot dog. I'd have done this years ago. Why does he let you get saved but stay? Because you got work to do. You are not here just to toss to and fro in the waves. No, you're here to swim. You're on mission. He says, the moment you say yes, we write your, your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. We stamp your passport. You become a part of the kingdom, but you stay in a foreign land because you're on duty. And here's what I want you to understand. This church, our church, this fellowship of believers, you can very easily and accurately think about it like it's an embassy. In every foreign country, our country has an embassy stationed there. In some countries, it's a massive complex with dozens, even hundreds of staff. In smaller countries, it's sometimes just a home with limited staff. But no matter what country an embassy is found in, that embassy is always sovereign territory of the home country from which it comes. You go to England and you walk into the U.S. embassy, you're in the United States. In 2010, I got to go to Afghanistan as a part of some work I was doing in the tech space, and and it was in the middle of the war. We were in Kabul, and we got to stay at the embassy, and and, and it it was the most surreal thing I'd ever been in in my entire life. Everywhere we went in Kabul, it was in ruins, and there were guns everywhere, and then you walked into the embassy, and Sports Center was on TV because it was home. And the people that lived there were at home and there was a, gosh, if you could see this in your spiritual mind, there was chaos all around. And they said, do you want a Coke? And I was like, yeah. And there were Skittles. (laughs) Taste the rainbow, man. I I was home. Even though I was somewhere else. And you should think about this church, your church, as that. This is the embassy. Look around you. This is like heaven. In this place, people from all walks of life gather together under one name, filled with one spirit, listening to one word, giving glory to one God. But you know, for people who live and work in foreign service, 
the ambassadors and support staff that work for the State Department that travel from the U.S. to country to country to country and stay in the embassies, they're not just there to sleep. Amen? People in foreign service are just that. They're in service in a foreign country. They're on assignment, and everyone who stays in an embassy or stationed in an embassy, be it from Timbuktu or, or, or somewhere else, they're there to advance the interests of the country that they represent. Did you know that? And that is you too. You see, this is your safe place. Your small group is your bunk bed. This is a great place for you and your family to find rest in a chaotic world, to live together, to be together, to give strength, to be at home. But every single day, you got to leave this embassy and walk into a chaotic world because you are an ambassador of the kingdom. And it is your duty to advance the interests of the king in this foreign land. Did you know that's who you are? You're not just a Christian saved by grace. You're a saint. Sent to save. Did you know that? You have a job to do. And a lot of y'all haven't shown up yet. You've been getting the paycheck, so... And what I mean is God's so faithful, he still gives you favor and grace and mercy and love and power and a sound mind. And he still answers every single prayer, even when you're not faithful, because he's always faithful, because his steadfast love endures forever. And he still cuts you checks. And he's like, you ready to clock in yet? And today has got to be the day you say, yeah, I'm ready. I'm on mission. Use me. Send me. We were at Easter dinner, and I, I found out that a member of our family, uh, a young man who's marry, marrying into our family, his, his family is a long line of ambassadors. And I was just fascinated by it, just beautiful that it informed our message today. I was like, God's so good. It's so awesome to hear this story. And so he's not a churchgoer, so it was weird for him for me to be like, so it's like heaven, right? He's like, what are you talking about? It's not like heaven at all. Anyway, we kept... We kept talking back and forth about what it meant to be an ambassador. And he said, you know, there's this beautiful way in which they care for us, the, the country that sends us. But not every assignment is easy. He said, when my dad was first becoming an ambassador, they didn't send us to Paris. He said, they sent us to Angola. And, and, in, and in the State Department world, they, they measure countries with a letter grade. The most developed get an A grade, and as they go down, they get a D or an F grade. And he said, the first countries they send you to are the F grade countries. And I'm over here like, this is the Lord. I hear it. I'm just preaching to myself, and he's, he thinks I'm crazy. But here's what I want to tell you today. You ready? Oh, here it is. It's so good. I want you to understand that early in your faith, especially if today is the day that you decide you're really following after the leaders and really avoiding the losers, your first assignment might be really hard. The Lord might say, right where you are right now, all I need to do is for you to see it differently, for you to understand you are an ambassador and you're in the embassy, but there is a world of chaos around you and it is time for you in the sphere of influence around you to begin to be the influence there. 
See, right now, most of us, we don't see ourselves accurately, so we let the chaos of the world, the host country, influence us. And the Lord is saying to you today, stop letting them be the loudest voice in your life. Let the voice of the Lord be the voice that is the loudest, and you be the loud echo that influences around you. He's called you to be in this community that you're in so that they see Jesus. And when I tell you to avoid the losers, I'm not saying cut people out. I'm saying draw a line in the sand and says, I love Jesus and I can't live like that anymore. I want you to know you think they're going to run. And some might, but others have just been desperate for one person, just one person to call them back to God. As you know that, because you were that. Do you remember that? When someone was finally like, why don't you just come to church? Why don't you just pray with me? Why don't... Do you know Jesus? You see, there is a world full of people just waiting for you, their ambassador, to show up and change everything. Amen? So the questions are hard today. Am I listening to sound advice? Am I ready to let go of bad advice? Am I ready to cut some ties? Cancel some subscriptions? Delete some apps? Heck, get a flip phone. Those are the hard parts that you have to take the initiative on. But the easy part is this. The power to do it, oh, ready? The power to do it is already written right here. It says, we work from this place of the embassy and we await our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will one day transform this lowly body to be just like his glorious body. And it is that power that enables him to make all things subject. What he's saying is one day, mm, one day, you and I, we're gonna look much different. This body of yours that you have right now, gone. And for some of us, you're like, amen. You'll be transformed into who you really are. And that's going to be a great day. But the power for that transformation exists right now for you to walk this out, to begin to share this faith. And even if it's going to be hard, guess what? He's gone before you because all things are subject to him. So this week, I want to challenge you with a hard conversation. Somebody in your life needs to know they don't get to speak in your ear anymore. Amen? This prayer we're going to pray right now is that the Lord would go before you and make that subject to him. This is your application today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you've challenged our hearts today. Had us ask ourselves big questions about who we're listening to and whether we're really listening to you. God, right now, through the foolishness of preaching, I know that you have begun to prick our hearts about some things, maybe even some people that need to be silenced 
so that you can be amplified. God, I'm asking that by the power of the blood that was shed on Calvary, you'd give us boldness like lions to take that step. You'd give us the strength and the courage to have hard conversations in love. But God, I ask that you'd go before us, that you'd soften hearts and open minds so that the people we need to declare our faith to would be ready to receive their faith too. Let this not just be a moment where we cut ties, but where we bind ourselves together and bring others into you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Do me a favor, stand up all over the building. We're gonna worship just a little bit more.